Good morning, Alex and friends. I'm Grace. Today is Monday, February 19, 2024, and you're listening to Alex's News. In Riverside today, temperatures are taking a cool turn with a high of 58.8 degrees and a low settling at 54.9. Grab a sweater as we dive into today's top stories. First up, we'll discuss the recent U.S. military strikes against Houthi rebels. These actions represent a significant escalation in the effort to protect maritime trade in the Red Sea. As global concerns about security and commerce rise, we'll break down the implications. Moving from conflict to recovery, we'll then share the ongoing challenges faced by survivors of the Maui wildfire. Six months post-disaster, many are still in the throes of securing long-term housing. We'll bring you the personal stories emerging from the ashes and the community efforts to rebuild and provide relief. Finally, we'll turn our eyes to the stars, or more accurately, the moon. Intuitive Machines is leading an American mission that's setting its sights on the lunar south pole. This endeavor promises to open new frontiers in space exploration and could pave the way for future scientific discoveries. Stay with us as we explore this giant leap. Breaking news at this hour, the U.S. military has carried out a series of strikes against Houthi rebels in the Red Sea. This comes in the wake of increasing tensions that have begun to disrupt the shipping industry on a global scale. For an in-depth look into this developing story, we go live to our reporter, Ethan. Ethan, can you give us an overview of what's happening? Sure, Grace. The U.S. has targeted the how this use of unmanned underwater vessels and anti-ship cruise missiles. These are defensive strikes intended to neutralize threats against maritime commerce and navigation. It's a direct response to the rebel group's actions, which have expanded from an initial focus on Israel's involvement in Gaza to striking UK and US vessels as well. The implications for international trade must be significant. Could you walk us through the key disruptions this conflict is causing? Absolutely, Grace. The Red Sea is a vital maritime route, and these attacks by the Houthis have led to over 2,000 ships changing their usual routes. Apart from the immediate logistical challenges, this has repercussions for global trade, shipping costs are rising, and insurance premiums for vessels in these waters have soared due to the heightened risk. With trade routes being such a critical part of the global economy, what might be the broader implications here? Well, the ripple effects could be extensive. Disrupted trade routes can lead to delivery delays and higher costs for goods, which potentially contributes to global inflation. There's also the concern of escalating regional tensions, which could draw in more international involvement and further destabilize the area. You mentioned defensive measures. What are these, and how are they being implemented to address the situation? To safeguard maritime trade against these threats, we're seeing increased military presence in the form of joint operations and international airstrikes. Navies are stepping up patrols, and shipping companies are being extra vigilant by enhancing security on board their vessels. There's also a lot more coordination amongst the international shipping community to stay ahead of these threats. With all these coordinated military and commercial efforts, is there a sense that these strategies will be effective in protecting maritime interests? It's the hope, Grace. By combining military action with industry collaboration and onboard defenses, the goal is to maintain the crucial flow of goods through these waters. While it's too early to tell if these efforts will fully deter Houthi aggression, the international community is showing a strong commitment to protecting these essential shipping routes. 
This is certainly a complex crisis with far-reaching implications. Thanks for breaking down the situation for us, Ethan. Glad to provide the insights, Grace. Stay with us for more updates on this story. Coming up next, story number two. Turning our attention now to Hawaii, where the stunning landscapes of Maui are still scarred by the devastating wildfires that took place in December 2023. With thousands of people affected, the housing crisis that was already significant on the island has only intensified. For an in-depth look at the current situation, we're joined by our reporter Chloe. Chloe, can you give us an update on what's happening with those who lost their homes in the fires? Absolutely, Grace. It's a tough situation in Maui, as over 6,700 wildfire survivors are currently in a precarious position. With the fires long extinguished, the real focus has shifted towards housing the survivors, many of whom are living in temporary setups, like hotels. There's a concerted effort from local authorities to turn vacation rental properties into long-term residences, with tax breaks as an incentive for property owners. That's quite an undertaking. But with so many people in need, are these measures likely to provide a sufficient number of homes for those displaced? It's a big question, Grace. Governor Josh Green is certainly ambitious, aiming to convert about 3,000 vacation homes and condos into long-term housing. There's even talk of him using post-fire emergency orders to speed up the process. But, turning short-term vacation rentals into a more stable form of housing isn't straightforward. There are regulatory hurdles, not to mention the need for cooperation from property owners. And with FEMA and the state already providing rent coverage for around 2,000 families, it sounds like the financial support is there. What about the other survivors who are still looking for a solution? Well, the gap is being filled by philanthropic support for those not covered by FEMA or state funding. Additionally, an initiative dubbed the Maui Interim Housing Plan has kicked off with phased solutions for the displaced. This includes a range of approaches, from getting survivors back into their original homes to new permanent housing developments. That sounds comprehensive. But I imagine that this kind of displacement isn't just a logistical issue. What about the mental and emotional toll on these wildfire survivors? That's a very important aspect of the recovery process. The mental strain is palpable among the thousands who are still uncertain about their future on the island. Thankfully, emergency mental health services, crisis counseling, and support hotlines are in place. It's crucial to recognize that rebuilding lives after such a disaster goes beyond mere bricks and mortar. Indeed, and the broader implications for Maui's community and infrastructure must be staggering. With the July 1 deadline to transition individuals out of hotels looming, are there concerns about meeting this target? Absolutely, Grace. There are significant obstacles, from the sheer scale of the crisis to the necessity of rebuilding resilient infrastructure that can withstand future disasters. The coordination among various partners, from government agencies to nonprofit organizations, must be seamless to succeed. And let's not forget financial management, ensuring the $500 million Maui Interim Housing Plan is utilized effectively as a mammoth task in itself. It's clear that this is an ongoing story with many layers, and the recovery will undoubtedly be closely watched by those on and beyond the island of Maui. Chloe, thank you for bringing us this comprehensive update. My pleasure, Grace. It's a critical issue, and we'll keep our eyes on the developments. Here are some other headlines. Intense Israeli bombardment in the Gaza Strip continues, with harrowing reports emerging of a woman navigating her way through the dead outside the Al-Aqsa Hospital morgue, underlining the loss of civilian life in the conflict. 
The passing of Alexei Navalny, Russia's well-known opposition figure, in a distant penal colony at 47 years old has sparked a global outcry, with accusations pointing toward the Russian government's involvement in his death. In a concerning security development, a Belize-flagged ship has sustained significant damage from a suspected Houthi rebel attack in the pivotal Bab el-Mandeb Strait, raising trade route security questions. The Palestine Liberation Organization takes action on the global stage, with South Africa initiating a case at the International Court of Justice, challenging Israel's conduct in Gaza and resulting in the court's demand for immediate remedial measures. Again, these are brief highlights, we won't be diving deeper into these stories today. Moving on to other news. In space news, an exciting development has taken place as Houston-based company Intuitive Machines is poised to land an uncrewed lunar lander near the moon's south pole. Joining me to discuss this significant event is our specialist correspondent, Ethan. Ethan, could you start by giving us an overview of this mission and its historic significance? Absolutely, Grace. This mission is incredibly notable because it's the first American lunar landing attempt in over half a century. The lander, dubbed Odysseus, was launched aboard a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket from Cape Canaveral in Florida. This marks a pivotal moment as NASA shifts towards more collaborative efforts with private entities to advance space exploration. I understand that Intuitive Machines was paid $118 million by NASA for this mission. This seems to be a considerable cost saving compared to traditional NASA projects. How do you see this affecting future missions? You're right. Grace, the price tag is significantly lower than what we've historically seen for such missions. This is a reflection of NASA's Commercial Lunar Payload Services, or CLPS, program, which is encouraging private sector involvement in lunar exploration. By leveraging the innovation and cost-effectiveness of companies like Intuitive Machines, NASA is hoping to ensure more frequent and affordable access to the lunar surface. The South Pole region of the Moon is particularly intriguing. Can you tell us why this area is a focal point for space exploration? The South Pole is a hotspot for scientific interest mainly because of the potential water ice reserves hidden there. The presence of water ice could be crucial for supporting human life and may even provide rocket fuel in the future. If Odysseus landing is successful, the instruments onboard will gather essential data about the lunar environment, which could be groundbreaking for human settlements and further lunar missions. With the CLPS initiative, it sounds like NASA is really counting on these commercial partnerships. How does this program work, and what are its long-term goals? That's right, the CLPS program encapsulates NASA's approach to engage with multiple commercial providers under fixed-price contracts. The goal here is to facilitate not just the exploration of the moon, but also to scout for resources, test resource utilization concepts, and tie into NASA's Artemis program, which is about establishing a sustainable human presence on the moon. What's critical here is that these companies need to show they have the necessary capabilities and align with NASA's science and exploration objectives. It seems like an excellent way to innovate. But are there any potential risks or drawbacks to NASA relying so heavily on private companies for space exploration? Like any significant shift, there are challenges. Inadequate risk assessment, oversight concerns, varying payload interfaces among providers, and questions about contractor due diligence are some issues that have been raised. However, NASA is proactively working to improve these areas, focusing on better risk assessment protocols, consistency in payload interfaces, and more robust quality assurance plans. This collaboration could mark a new era for space exploration, as you mentioned. 
What are your thoughts on the implications of these partnerships for humanity's future in space? The implications are vast. With this model of private-public partnership, we may see a surge in technological advancements, cost reductions, and an increase in the frequency of missions. This could accelerate our timeline for more complex endeavors, such as establishing lunar bases, mining for resources, and even preparing for future Mars expeditions. However, it's essential to balance ambition with careful planning and risk management. This is certainly a story to watch as we look at the future of space travel and exploration. Ethan, thank you for your in-depth analysis and for joining us with these insights. My pleasure, Grace. Happy to bring this exciting new chapter in space exploration to our listeners. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4 Turbo. GPT-3.5 Turbo. The Perplexity API and the Google Cloud Text-to-Speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.